Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. As some of you may or may not know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So today we are diving into a full-on solo episode centering around all things mental health, which is so fucking important, guys. So sit back, grab a cocktail, a box of tissues, whatever you may need at the moment, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my god. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. I did not in chapter six. <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on our Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't. So as my life normally goes, I had this entire plan on how I wanted to outline this episode, what I wanted to talk about, and we're still going to get into a lot of that, but then some shit in my life changed. (laughs) Um, Just for the sake of transparency, because that's what I'm always showing up here to do with you guys. Um, My mental health the last two weeks has been a little fucking rough. Um, And I want to get into some of that while still preserving some uh, privacy for some individuals that uh, contributed to, um, to the strain that I felt I was going through mentally. So as you guys know, I am deep in the edit of uh, my second book. And as hard as the second book was to write, the edit process has been unimaginable. I mean, I, there have been days where I have been sitting at my computer and literally just like feel like I'm banging my head up against a brick wall. And I was dealing with all of this and it came to the... Uh, the part of my journey where I had to start reaching out to people that were involved in the second book or had something written about them to get permission um, and ultimately ask, you know, for their blessing to to release this second one with a good conscience because that is really important to me. And I was able to do that on the first one. I'm not going to get too into detail about the conversation that took place. Um, maybe at some point we will do that on the, uh, the subscription bonus episodes where it's a little more private, but we'll see. Um, but I will say that <clears throat> I had one of the tougher conversations that I was probably most worried about, and it did not go at all how I was expecting. Um, And it was really jarring for me. Besides the fact of if the person said yes or no or gave me their blessing, it was jarring for me mostly because the second I got on the phone with this person, I knew that something really big 
had shifted in the way that they view me. And to be honest, up until that point, I had held on to this idea that the last time we had communicated and things that were said um, and promises that were made that I was always going to be kind of held in that light, held in that view um, from that last time. And it was really clear when this phone call started that that was so not the case anymore. Um, And it really affected me. And I want to like kind of take you through the steps and show you why and how it played into having an effect on my mental health. Besides feeling in this conversation that I had kind of lost um, someone that I knew and, and held in a certain mindset and place in my life, um, it was also taking a step back because I was finally in such a different place um, in the way that I was viewing all of this that I could finally see different tactics that were being used and things that were making me feel very manipulated to feel a certain way. And I got off that phone call and I walked in and looked at Tay and burst into tears. (laughs) And it wasn't about, you know, getting a blessing on the second book versus not getting a blessing or, you know, having someone say, yes, you can do this or no, you can do this. For me, it was about the fact that they villainized me. And, and made me on that phone call feel like I was doing something incredibly wrong. And so I burst into tears and was like, I, I felt like a total failure, was like, oh my God, am I this person? Am I? Like I, I started to question myself. And then I called Jacqueline, <laughs> my producer, and um, who's also, you know, one of my best friends. And she started kind of like pointing things out to me, as did Tay, and was like, you realize that, you know, none of this is your doing. Like, this is all somebody else's perspective and somebody else's experience about what you're doing. If you look at the black and white facts, you're not doing anything wrong. You're living your truth, you're telling your story, you're helping so many people in doing so, and it's your story to tell. Just because someone else has a different perspective of you, that doesn't make you some fucking terrible person. And I see that, I I can clearly see and understand that and I get that, but at the end of the day, I I have a conscience and I am not a malicious person. I always want to do everything with the utmost integrity and make sure I am conscious of other people's feelings that are involved and people's feelings that I care about. 
And for me, what was so difficult was that this person that at one time had, you know, a specific perspective of me and, you know, thought of me a certain way, now clearly did not feel that way anymore. And to me, that was like devastating (laughs) to me that I had like, you know, gone all this time upholding that and now all of a sudden that was taken away and it really started to affect me and I sat down to work on the edit the following day and just was like I can't fucking do this um it it really started to weigh on me and then I had a conversation with someone uh, I guess it wasn't even someone else that I needed permission from, but it was someone who's included in the book, their partner, um, who I also know in, in my life. So we had a conversation and God bless this fucking human, man. She is what I aspire to spiritually and emotionally be. But we got on the phone and started having, you know, not, they're never like comfortable conversations, obviously, when you're like, hey, by the way, I wrote a book and this is all the shit. Um, And she said something to me that she will never truly understand what it did for me this past week because it really shifted the um, pit hole that I I was going to say fallen into, but actually had been pushed into. by this other conversation that I had had. And she said to me, Gabrielle, you cannot change other people's perspectives. All that you can do is move forward and know that you're walking forward with integrity and know that you're helping people and speaking your truth and that that ultimately is going to lead you to where you need to be. And no person that you call and talk to about getting permission for this book is going to be able to take that away from you. She then went on to say, you cannot live your life in fear of other people's perspectives. And hearing that, I was like, fuck, dude, not only did she just give me permission to like move forward in a way that I can do in good conscience and know that I'm not stepping out of integrity in any way, but that I can also kind of breathe a sigh of relief and be like, you know, I'm not responsible for how other people perceive specific things in this world. Um, And it goes back to when I read the four agreements on my Europe trip and one of those agreements was don't take anything personally and I finally as much as I like had a resistance when I first read the four agreements on that trip I finally sat back and was like oh my god I get it like as long as you are walking your path and know that you're doing what's best for you and for those around you and following your purpose you know there's not always going to be people that understand that and there's not always going to be people that are ready on their journeys to be able to 
take a step back and see it from a bigger vantage point, sometimes their perspectives are going to be skewed because they're too close to it and because they're having their own experience. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. So... It was this like wonderful gift that she gave me and I want to really relay that to all of you as we dive into, you know, all the mental health stuff we're going to be talking about on this podcast that as long as you are walking on the path that you know you're supposed to be on, there are going to be people that fall away. There are going to be people that don't get it. There are going to be people that you have to walk away from. And that's fucking okay. All right. Now that we've uh, gone down the rabbit hole of where my mental health has been the last two weeks, let's really dive in and talk about all the things. I want to start with the different types of mental health that I've personally struggled with because obviously those are things near and dear to me that I, I can speak on. So if you've been following the podcast, then you've known that I have struggled with eating disorders. Um, when I was younger in my, my high school and college years, I have struggled with depression on and off uh, for the majority of my life. And I still continue to struggle with anxiety, which I know is a big one for a lot of people. So First, I want to go into a little bit of detail about how I've struggled with these these three things and then what I've done personally on my journey that's been able to help get me through some of that. So with my eating disorder, which I just publicly opened up about this past year when we had Hunter McGrady on and did um, her episode of FML Talk, uh, it started when I was in high school. And I struggled with bulimia, which for those of you that don't know, the uh, eating disorder realm is where you, you know, eat an excessive amount of food. Well, sometimes I did in my case, and then will purge it and throw it up. And it's a really, really dangerous, um, dangerous disease to have. And it, you know, I always felt for me, that I justified it because it was technically manageable. 
Um, I wasn't doing it every day. And, you know, it was only like specific instances. Sometimes I would go months and be fine. But it took me a long time to finally like look at myself in the mirror and be like, okay, this is a problem. And you are someone with an eating disorder and you have to like own that so that you can get help and fix it. Once I did that, and started, you know, telling people as far as, you know, told my mom and was able to start vocalizing it and owning it and able to talk about it, I was then able to start getting help that I needed. Um, I think personally, the first and foremost biggest thing you can ever do about anything that you're struggling with mental health wise is to find an outlet and someone to vocalize it to, whether that's a parent or a friend or a therapist or, you know, anyone that you can be like, look, this is a problem and I need to discuss it. Um, for me, I my mom set me up with a nutritionist and, you know, I really needed to kind of redefine my relationship with food, my knowledge about food and really start learning, you know, more about how to take care of my body in a proper way. And the biggest thing that helped ultimately pull me out of my eating disorder was finding a healthy balance of going to the gym and eating well, which are why those are two of the ingredients on my self-love cocktail is going to the gym and and eating well. I don't I'm not one of those people that's like, "Oh my god, I love going and getting my ass whipped at the gym and like dying of sweat." Like I'm not that person. Um, but I go and I do it because I know it's going to keep me strong mentally and make me feel better in a mental state when my physical body feels good. And the same with healthy eating, like you know, I, I would love to pretend that calories don't count and could just eat whatever I wanted, but my body is not the type of person that's like, oh, you know, I just went to yoga and had two cheeseburgers and that's how I stay in shape. Like, I, that's not my body type. Um, so for me, eating really well and going to the gym consistently and working out consistently and finding a good balance in all of that is really what helps me keep that side of my mental health in check. So let's talk about depression, <laughs> shall we? Um, because there's so many of us that, you know, struggle with different uh, levels of it. You know, there's there's a lot of different layers of depression. It, all, it never looks the same on, on people and it never is the same experience for people. It's not something that fits under one umbrella. Um, and I feel like I've dealt with different levels of depression on and off uh, my entire life. I think when I was younger, when my dad passed, I was dealing with it unknowingly. Um, it didn't look like I was a depressed kid, but I definitely had a sadness inside of me that then translated into anger when I got into middle school. And I suddenly became this really angry kid and I think that that all stemmed from the depression that I had around losing my dad and that's not to say that my mom wasn't trying to help me address it I was in therapy of course after all of that happened and it still you know finds a way to fester and manifest in your life when it goes unaddressed and and 
when it sits in you for that long of a time. When I got to high school, I did my freshman year at a high school called LA County High School for the Arts. And it's basically like a fame school. So you'll go and you'll do your academics in the morning and then you have lunch and then you do your art for four hours after that. And I was there for dance. And I just remember feeling so fucking creatively stifled. Um, I was really miserable. Um, We were put into, you know, classes based on our um, grade level and not based on where our technique was. And I was like, I should be in the upper level classes. Like it it was just, it was very, very, um, that you felt very boxed in. Um, And there were a lot of rules and it was very regimented. And I really started going in a downward spiral. So much so that my mom took me to our doctor at the time and he looked at her. I found this out later, obviously. He looked at her and was like, if you want your daughter to be here next year, you need to pull her out of this school. And my mom being my mom, she said, uh, fuck yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, so she pulled me out of the school. I ended up doing my second semester of freshman year homeschool and then went to my, uh, my local school the following year for freshman junior senior years and I look back on that time and really think about how scary that must have been as a mother to hear a doctor be like if you don't make some changes your kid's not going to make it um that's heavy to to hear and to feel that responsibility on on yourself um and my depression has always kind of come and gone. Um, it's been more situational. So when things happen in my life and I feel the overwhelm and I tend to go under. Um, but the worst depression that I think I've ever experienced, um, you will read about in book two, was when I came back from Europe. And it was the type of depression that was very scary because you just wanted to sit in it. And I remember being like, I don't even know what I want to do anymore because nothing is making me feel better and nothing is making me feel happy. Um, And I've never been that type of person. I've always been like, fuck, I hate that I'm feeling depressed right now. What can I do to fix it? Um, Not the I just want to sit in it. Um, So you'll read about all of this in detail. But this is where in my life where the self-love cocktail was born. you know, in Eat, Pray, FML, I write about it in the epilogue for a reason because I didn't have this magical fucking aha moment on my Europe trip to figure out how to love myself. It was born because I was literally trying to save myself. So I was so fucking sad and so depressed and like really had never felt that low in my life. Um, And it was from a mix of things. It was from, you know, having writing this high of being on this Europe trip and, you know, having all these new experiences and being able to kind of like postpone the thoughts of my divorce and all the bullshit that that was bringing. And then I came home and everything fucking stopped. Like it was like being on a spinning carousel and being able to be distracted by all the shiny things and all the other people and continuously moving and then all of a sudden everything fucking stopped 
And for me, that was like my own personal hell. And I did not know how to pull myself out of it. So it literally came to a point where one day I was like, okay, I don't even know what the fuck makes me happy anymore or what makes my soul happy. Um, So I'm going to think about the things that I know it used to be, like what used to make me happy and what used to rock my boat and sit down and write a list of those things. And I taped it on my bathroom mirror at my mom's house because this is when I was still living back at my mom's house after my divorce and, you know, my life fucking blowing up in front of my eyes. And I was like, okay, Gabrielle, if you do one or two things on this fucking list, then you will have earned, you know, getting back in bed or, you know, watching a TV show and not doing anything. Um, But you have to earn it by doing that. So it started as like a, you know, (laughs) let me just get these tasks done so that I can zone out and be miserable in my bed and binge watch a TV show and not have to, you know, function. And then after, you know, two weeks, three weeks of doing one of those things every day, I started to feel better. And then it was like, okay, if you can get three or four of these things done a day, then you will have earned whatever it is you want to go do. And without knowing it, I was creating the self-love cocktail to literally pull myself out of the deepest depression that I have ever been in. Um, And I know when people are depressed and we talk about, you know, the self-love cocktail and I promise this works and blah, 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 it can seem so frivolous, like, because it's so basic as far as like, oh, you want to be happy? Do the things that make you happy. Um, But that's truly as simple as it is. You don't have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. You just have to start doing one or two things a day and commit and be consistent. And it really did pull me out of one of the darkest places I had ever been in. And now it's it's kind of second nature for me. If I start feeling shitty, if I start feeling depressed, if I start feeling overwhelmed, I literally stop and I'm like, okay, what are some ingredients I can do today that's going to make me feel better? And it's, it's a way that I put into practice now that I live by. And I know a lot of my readers and my listeners do it now. And I promise you, it will help pull you out of whatever type of funks that you are in. The other things that really help me when I'm feeling depressed or anything that's like fucking with my mental health is a change of scenery. Um, And that doesn't mean you have to fly off to Europe, although, you know, I don't not recommend that. Um, But a change of scenery, like go on a walk in nature, go on a hike, go, you know, camping for a couple days and get out of the place that's been making you feel whatever way that you've been feeling. Um, Nature for me has been such a huge component in my like medicine <laughs> cabinet of uh of cocktail ingredients and it really i think can breathe so much new life into you when you can change the uh the same old scenery that you've been dealing with okay let's uh get into our friend anxiety that when uh when i put up a a question in our Facebook group, which, by the way, if you haven't joined the subscription, the fucking Facebook group is worth it just in itself. Um, 
the the people that are in there and like are lifting each other up and are it's just freaking really beautiful to watch um but when I put a question up in there about like I'm doing you know a mental health podcast what's what are things you want me to touch on literally everybody was like anxiety (laughs) so I get I get it um I deal with it um and there's so many different kinds of anxiety and for me you know it's become a day-to-day thing uh, especially as my career has changed um as you know I've had to deal with certain hiccups in life like my ex-husband hacking into my social medias um things that inherently create different types of anxiety and for me I've kind I feel like I've always dealt with it my entire life um but it wasn't until recently I was able to differentiate anxiousness and overwhelm from subconscious excitement. So let me give you some examples of that. Anxiety for me is, you know, nervousness or if I'm ever just like sitting there and I'm like starting to think about like, fuck, what if like, you know, all the things I'm doing end up failing or what if, you know, this person ends up feeling this way about me or what, you know, all the what ifs that, you know, never really have legs to stand on when you look at them. Um, My therapist always tells me when you look at a fear, that's false evidence appearing real. F-E-A-R. Um, so whenever I'm like, oh, I, I have anxiety around this or I have a fear around this, she's like, okay, well, let's look at that and dissect that. And is there really any validity to it? Or is it something that your mind is making up and running away with all of these what ifs that is causing the anxiety as it is? Um, so for me, that is a very real thing that I experience all the time. Um, But when I was able to finally differentiate that feeling from subconscious excitement, which sounds weird at first, but that was a really big step for me. So subconscious excitement is, you know, the night before my book release party or the moment you're about to walk out on stage and perform or when you're walking into a really big meeting, but you know it's like exactly where you're supposed to be. Um, And a lot of times those things look and feel and show up in the same way. So now whenever I'm feeling this anxiety, anxious feeling, I sit down and I'm like, okay, is this actual anxiety or is this subconscious excitement? Is there something that's going on in my life or am I intuitively picking up on something big that's about to come into my life which happens all the fucking time um anytime I'm having like hardcore anxiety I end up like that week something very big will happen and I look back and I'm like oh I wonder if that was my you know subconscious intuitive self being like oh some big shit's about to go down um and once you can pinpoint which type of you know feeling that you're dealing with whether it's anxiety or the subconscious excitement you can then figure out how to address it the biggest tool that has helped me with actual anxiety is stepping back and being like okay what 
if I had to give the anxiety a name, what would it be? Like, what is the thing that's causing it? And it's usually a fear. And then I'll go back and do, you know, the false evidence appearing real and be like, okay, so is this a valid fear or is it a fear that I'm allowing my head to make up and doesn't really have any proof or evidence that it's going to in fact happen or be a problem? And nine times out of 10, it's something that I have created that isn't actually, you know, doesn't have any evidence to support it. This is also a perfect example of where to use a thought onion. If there is something that's giving you anxiety to look at the initial superficial thought and be like, okay, well, what's, what do I initially feel is giving me anxiety? And it's normally something like my job, my work, you know, whatever it is. And then do a thought onion around it and see what's at like the core of that because it's usually not what you're thinking it is on a superficial level. And when you can get to what that subconscious level is, it will A, show you what you need to adjust, fix, or heal to not feel anxious around that particular subject anymore. But it will also give you a little bit of peace to know that the anxiety is stemming from somewhere and you're not just this person that's walking around with like total anxiety 24-7. That's been the biggest help for me to be like, oh, okay, I, I don't just like walk around with this like anxiety that's coming out of nowhere like it's coming from somewhere and once I find that place I can then start to address it for me it's also been really really amazing to have someone in my life that understands the different aspects of my mental health especially my anxiety and Tay has really been such a fucking champion um with I don't want to say putting up with because that's not the right word helping me cope with my anxiety because as a partner in any situation you know as a friend or a boyfriend girlfriend or husband wife or mother daughter or brother sister when you're you know dealing with someone that has anxiety it can be exhausting on the other person and he's been so great at um not only understanding it but learning that it's not about him. And I think that's really important for people to hear, especially with how our history has gone. And, you know, he, I had a pattern of my anxiety would build and that was right before we would break up. So it took him a while to relearn (laughs) that my anxiety doesn't necessarily equal that. Um, And now we've gotten to a point where He really, whenever he notices that I'm having anxiety or I vocalize that I'm having anxiety, he comes to me and he's like, do you, what do you need? Do you need me to sit here and have you be heard and we can talk? Do you need me to try and offer you some solutions? Do you need me to just sit here and hold you? Like, what is it that you need that I'm capable of giving you? And then just love. Like, I have never had more success with letting go of some anxiety than when my partner or my friend or my mom can just sit there and and be open and give me love. That's been the biggest success that I've had in my relationship is 
someone who is just open and ready to kind of be like, look, whatever it is on the list that you need, let me know and I'll be there to give it to you. Um, and I've now put into practice with other people that, you know, are in my life that have anxiety. That's been the best way that I know how to support them in return. Now, you guys all know that I'm a huge advocate of therapy, um, even when, you know, there's nothing that seems to be wrong in your life, like going and talking about some shit is absolutely instrumental to keeping your mental health in check um, and supporting yourself because there's so much we fucking deal with on a day-to-day basis as humans. And there's been times in therapy where I've been like, "Eh, I mean, like, I feel okay. I don't really feel like I need to go today. Um, I feel like this might be a waste of a session. And that'll be when I have some huge freaking breakthrough um, because there isn't heavy stuff that's necessarily weighing me down and I can kind of get to what's underneath it all. Um, So therapy is always my biggest recommendation for anyone and everyone that's dealing with any type of mental health struggles. Um, It really has been a huge component in my healing journey. You'll read a lot about that in in book two and the different kind of breakthroughs that came with with different types of therapy. I want to give some examples of what taking care of your mental health looks like versus not taking care of your mental health. Um, from my own personal experiences in my life. So after my high school sweetheart passed in a car accident, um, I started substance soothing. And I think we touched a little bit on this in the grief episode, but I mean, it was pretty bad. Um, I was in my first year in college. I was drinking heavily four to five nights a week blacking out four to five nights a week Um, and it was so detrimental to my mental health. Um, Not only was it not good for my body to be, you know, (laughs) ingesting that level of alcohol on a nightly basis, but it was also pushing aside all of the grief that I should have been dealing with. So when I finally, you know, got my shit together and stopped drinking, I still had all the shit that was there in the first place that I had to deal with. So it made my healing process twice as fucking long. Um, But it was a huge wake up call for me at 18 that I can't ever do that again. Um, And now, you know, whenever I heal, with with traumas or when I'm like dealing with heavy emotional stuff that I'm trying to work through there's like no drinking um after my divorce when all of that happened I would go out and you know dance with my friends because that was something that I loved but I wouldn't have a sip of alcohol it was like very strict rule um (laughs) you will see some interesting ins and outs of how that played out after Europe in book two um But that is one of my biggest recommendations is that when you're going through any type of trauma or emotional stuff or mental health, anything that's like heavy, really try and keep a clear mind, really try and not add in any outside substances while you're trying to to work through those emotions. 
going back to, you know, the eating disorders um, or any type of, you know, issues that are revolved around eating, um, you know, the the healthy versus not healthy would be binge eating or drinking um, and really, you know, knowing that I'm eating this right now and I'm going to continue, but I know it's going to make me feel shitty after in the long run. Um, versus finding a healthy balance, um, working with a nutritionist, making sure that you're, you know, eating and having a healthy relationship with food. Um, it it goes back to being really cognizant of is what I'm doing in this moment going to make me feel better in the next moment or tomorrow. Um, and if you can be conscious enough to stop and be like, okay, is what I'm doing right now in this moment going to make me feel better in the long run or is it going to make me feel worse? Is it going to make me take two steps backwards? Is it going to further my mental health and make me feel, you know, strong and happy and not shitty or is it going to do the opposite and when you can have that conversation with yourself and make choices based around that it really can help you create different patterns as far as you know the depression the biggest thing i want to get across is you can do all the things you can you know do the self-love cocktail you can go to therapy. You can talk about your feelings. You can, you know, take medication if that's what's helping you. Um, You can do all the things. But the biggest thing that I feel has helped me is instead of beating yourself up for things that you're feeling or things that are ultimately out of your control, the way to take care of that aspect of it in your mental health is to meet yourself exactly where you are. Not, oh, I should be feeling this way or, oh, fuck, if only I wasn't like, you know, A, B, and C. Meet yourself exactly where you are. And sometimes that's going to be in a really shitty place and it's going to suck and you're going to have to sit in it and be like, oh, God, wow. But when you can meet yourself exactly where you are, it allows you to have a solid starting point to then heal from. Um, there's so much toxic positivity out there where people are saying, oh, you know, you're fine. You just need to do this and this and this. Or, you know, it's not that bad. You're, you're going to get through it and you're going to get over it. It's, you can't, you have to meet yourself where you are. And until you do that, until you're ready to get real with yourself and be like, look, I am in the fucking depths of my shit. Um, you're not going to be able to pull yourself out until you've been honest with yourself about where exactly it is that you're at. So for me, when I'm starting any like processing or grief or healing journey, I'm like, okay, where exactly am I right in this moment? Because this is like where we have to recognize and accept before we can start making strides to get better. I think it's also really important to talk about past traumas and what part of your mental health is still suffering from your quote story. Um, So for example, 
my story is my dad died when I was six. I walked in and found him dead on the floor from a heart attack. My high school sweetheart was killed in a car accident when I was 18. My husband uh, cheated on me before I filed for divorce. Um, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's that those are all past traumas. Those are part of your story. So what part of your mental health that you are living with on a day-to-day basis is because of that story? Really think about that. Like what, what is causing me distress or harm in my life that is a direct result from my story? Now listen to this next part really fucking carefully. Decide to let that go. But Gabrielle, how are we how are we supposed to just like let go of like these massive things that have shaped our lives? Obviously, they're always going to be a part of your story. I'm proud of my story. Every part of my story has shaped me into becoming the person that I am right now. Um, but I don't let it define me. And there's a difference in that. There is a difference of, you know, carrying someone's grief of their death around with you and being like, well, I'm excusable because I lost this person or I act this way because I'm still hurting from this traumatic experience. Other people should not have to pay for your traumas. And I feel like people are listening to this going, fuck, dude, yeah. Um, Because a lot of people listening to this have had to pay for other people dealing with their trauma. Um, I mean, yeah, guys, that's one of the biggest messages that I want to get across in this mental health podcast. Do not let your story define you. You have to go back and look at all the shit that happened when you were a child, all the shit that happened when you, you know, went through massive life changes that we've all been through and be like, what did I pick up from this trauma and how is that dictating my day-to-day life and my mental health now as an adult? I will never forget when I was in my angsty fucking teen years and I was pissed off at my mom about something and we were arguing and you know I I looked at her I was like I'm just fucking angry because my dad died and she looked at me with all the compassion that a mother can have and was like yes Gabrielle and it was fucking awful and it was traumatic and it was terrible And I am so sorry that you had to go through it, but that is the last time you will use that as an excuse to treat anybody a certain way or to excuse any behavior that you have. And that was such a life-changing moment for me because it was in that moment I realized that you take your trauma, you walk with it for a while, and then eventually on the path that you're on, you get to a fork in the road. And you have a decision to make. You're either going to go to the left and be a victim and continue to carry that and let it define you. Or you're going to go to the right and you're going to say, yeah, this is part of my story and it's going to make me a better human. And what can I do now to make that story fucking worthwhile? 
it was the biggest gift my mother has ever given me. So if you take nothing else away from this podcast, look at your past trauma, look at your stories, and then really get real with yourself and say, is this defining me? And is it something that I can now let go so that it can become my story and not my chains that are still weighing me down? All right, we are going to shift gears a little bit because I've missed your FML stories. Um, And we are going to jump in to two FML stories that y'all submitted. I'm excited to like get back into these. Here we go. Hi, Gabrielle. My name is Sarah, and this is my FML story. I began dating my last serious boyfriend my senior year of college. He was charismatic and knew exactly what to say to make me feel special. After a year of dating, we decided to move in together. It's also important to mention that at the time we met, he had a two-year-old son from a previous relationship, so I'd also taken on the role of being a parental figure. Things were fine and dandy until two years into our relationship, where, out of nowhere, he told me he didn't want to get married or have any more children. This was a deal-breaker for me, so I ended things. He soon after begged for me back, saying he wasn't ready yet, and he would want those things eventually. Stupidly, I took him back, but he began acting differently shortly afterward. He was distant, on his phone all the time, and wasn't as interested in being intimate with me. One day, I was cleaning out our medicine cabinet and noticed a bottle for an antibiotic that is most commonly used to treat an STD. I'm a nurse, so I thought it was odd that he didn't tell me he went to the doctor. I asked him about it, and he told me he was being treated for a UTI. That's when I felt the pit in my stomach for the first time. Two months later, I found an account that he'd created on Snapchat to talk to girls on and had proof that he was sending and receiving inappropriate pictures and messages. When I asked him about this, he told me I just didn't compliment him enough on his figure and how hard he works at being fit. That was the last straw and it ended things for good. Fast forward four months to when I finally found out that he had physically cheated on me by sleeping with a girl in his friend group whom I had only met a handful of times. I came to learn that he had brought me to her house for a game night after sleeping with her and acting as if nothing happened. I was clueless. Feeling violated and absolutely disgusted, I went to my doctor to be tested for STDs. I tested positive for chlamydia, and I hadn't slept with anyone else since we broke up. So he not only gave me an STD by cheating and knew he had it at some point, treated himself, and continued to sleep with me hoping I'd never find out. And he still denies all of this to this day. And that is my FML story. Oh, girl. I mean, the fucking audacity never ceases to amaze me. Like, the disrespect on your body to contract an STD, not fucking say anything, and then just, like, go about your merry way and be like, I'm going to take antibiotics, but, like, you're fine. Um, oh my God, girl, I'm so fucking sorry. What a giant steaming piece of shit. Um, I remember when I found out about my ex-husband's affair, that was obviously, you know, the first thing I did was I went to go get tested and the panic that, you know, sets in when you go and do that because you're like, well, fuck, dude, like I really genuinely don't know, like where his dick has been, like where she's been, how many other women there might have been. Um, It's really, it's a traumatic experience. And I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And fuck, girl. I mean, 
power to you for leaving and ugh. Okay, this is story number two from another girl named Sarah. And uh, my producer sent this to me and was like, your jaw is going to be on the floor. I This sounds made up. So I'm going to be listening to it for the first time now. And so are you. Here we go. Hi, Gabrielle. Here is my story of my husband. We met in January 2010, and it was perfect in true narcissistic fashion. I felt loved and beautiful because he bought me things and took me places and always complimented me. Well, it ended up going bad really, really fast. I started getting told I was worthless, and he told me a few times he was going to burn my mom's house down if I left him. He would spit in my face, control all my money. I would have to hand over my whole paycheck to him. I was not allowed to buy myself anything without his permission. It sucked. Fast forward three kids later. We had just buy, bought a house and he went to a, on a guy's trip and then he ended up meeting a girl at the strip club that he swears he fell in love with in one weekend. He kept telling me he wanted to be with her, but he also wanted to be with me and his family. I was not comfortable doing both. So he told me, all right, I choose you and my boys, but he wouldn't stop talking to her. So I finally said, you know what? I'm done. You could move. He moved out into his trailer on our same property. July 1st, 2019. He says, oh, babe, go to the beach. Take the kids somewhere. Get out of the house. Have some fun so you're not moping over me all day. Okay, we did. We come back. I left him with the kids while I went to go get dinner. I come home to all of my shit thrown into the yard. He's in a full rage. He takes his shower curtain rod and slams it into the wall four times, making these big, huge, gaping holes. I run for my life thinking, oh, this is it. He is going to fucking kill me because I secretly knew deep down the only way out was one of us to die. I ran to his trailer trying to lock myself in. He gets in, takes his gun and says, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I'm going to kill myself in front of you. So you have to live with it for the rest of your fucking life. I turn around and he shoots himself. That was his last narcissistic act to get at me. And as of now, I could not be happier. I know what love is now, and I know what I do not deserve and what I do deserve. And I am now dating his best friend. I, um, I think this is the first time I have been speechless from an FML story. Um, wow. And like how oddly appropriate that that's the one that gets submitted when we're doing a mental health podcast, um, that doesn't even sound real. Um, and I feel like I can't really make comments on the awful stuff that was done during the relationship because it ended in such a tragic freaking way. I mean, I can't imagine standing in front of the, the person that I'm in a relationship with and watching them take their own life. Um, that's really, that's really heavy. Um, so I want to like make sure that um, we're acknowledging the fact that that's some serious fucking trauma that you had to endure and I, I can't imagine witnessing that. Um, also have to kind of like pivot a little bit and say 
interesting like cherry on top with the and now I'm with his best friend I feel like we I feel like we're gonna need more details on um on this story at some point like I think people are gonna be a little uh a little invested and need to know some updates okay y'all it is about that time for our next giveaway and this one is pretty fucking exciting um tiffany rice is a spirit medium communicator much like the psychic medium that i met with and wrote about in eat pray fml not the same one but i recently had a session with tiffany and it was pretty incredible and she has offered to do a giveaway with FML Talk where she is going to give one winner a 30-minute session, which is fucking huge. Like, that's insane. Um, so you're going to get that along with a little goodie bag. It's going to be a – it's the one to win if you're going to win one. Um, so we're going to post about it on the FML Talk podcast page. But basically, all you need to do is tag – four girlfriends in the post itself and then you can pick any piece of fml talk content to share to your page and tag fml talk podcast you also have to be following fml talk podcast and tiffany which is at spirit tiff but you can find all of these uh guidelines for how to enter the giveaway and make sure your name is in the running for that on the uh the podcast page on instagram and if you have not signed up for the subscription yet, you are freaking missing out, you guys. Um, like I said earlier, the Facebook group is reason enough to join. Um, they're getting daily self-love practices, journal prompts. All the people in there are like, you know, venting and supporting each other, which is fucking awesome to watch you guys all connect. And every week I share never before seen photos from the Eat, Pray, FML trip. And I'm going to be releasing a lot of book spoilers in that Facebook group as well. Um, but also, you guys, the mini bonus episodes are so fucking fun. Um, only two of them have released so far, but it, the whole season of them are freaking wild. And the seasons to come when we start talking about all the shit I had to cut from book two, which is a lot, um, is all going to be on there. And uh we get a lot more up close and personal on those uncut mini bonus episodes. I can promise you that. Next week, we have a fun fucking episode coming at you. It's all around polyamory, monogamy. It, this conversation in this interview was fucking wild. Like I was there for it. Um, and the woman that I am bringing on, I first went on to her podcast to do her show and it's rare that I go onto someone else's podcast and I become obsessed with them and I'm like you have to come on mine um her name is Amanda Catherine Loy she has overcome some serious shit she wrote a book called I chopped off my tits it you guys it's such a fucking good episode I can't wait for you all to meet her and hear her story and I ask all the things all the things um so it's a fun episode next week I can't wait for you guys to hear it. As always, make sure you are subscribed so you never miss an episode. I am so glad to be back in full swing with season two. Make sure you are keeping up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. All of our merch is officially back and restocked in all sizes. So if you are wanting that self-love tie-dye hoodie or the fuck it, 
cropped one. They are back in stock. The Narcissist tea is there. Make sure you get them because they don't stay in stock long. I hope you guys all got some good stuff out of today's episode. It is Mental Health Awareness Month, so make sure you are taking care of your mental health, being respectful of everyone else's mental health around you, and really make sure you are doing those fucking self-love cocktails, you guys. Until next time, cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.